This is a Fubar Radio podcast. If you need any more information, head to fubarradio.com. Screen Talk with Dan Clark on Fubar Radio. Hello and welcome to Screen Talk. I'm Dan Clark and we have a wonderful show for you today. We're going to crack straight on with some movie news with the smooth-talking criminal that is James Gill in the studio. We've got a lot to talk about, James, and not actually much time, so let's just go for it. What have you got for me? I thought we might kick off with uh, Dennis Villeneuve because uh, Blade Runner 2049 is out now and mm-hmm. after we finish this chat, that is what I will be going to see. Yeah. So I, I know that... I'm very excited, are you? Super excited! Yeah. I actually think the first film. I, I don't want to say. You know, what I'm going to say. I, I, think, I know what you're going to say. It's so overrated. Yeah, I, it looks amazing. It, you know, the, it, visually, it gets under your skin. It stays there, but as a movie, I really can take it or leave it. I haven't seen it for about 20 years, so I'm I'm going to watch it before I see the sequel. Um, and I think I'll reserve judgment on whether it's overrated or not because the clips I ever I've seen I always go wow the, what, how amazing is that so as a story and as a piece of storytelling I'll I'll wait until I rewatch what, which one do you watch because there's so many cuts that's the problem I think it was the the twelfth director's cut that I saw <laughs> it, was, it was the one that was back in cinemas a couple of years ago. So it wasn't, it wasn't is it that, with or that without voiceover? Because that was always one of the big things, wasn't it? With? With, okay. <laughs> think, how many different versions have there been? There's about five, yeah, I think. Yeah, I was going to say four or five. Yeah. That's bonkers, isn't okay, it? Okay, so, yeah. Um, I want to see, see more versions of Happy Gilmore. <laughs> five director yes! cuts, okay. Yes. Uh, so, so the thing with Villeneuve, I know that I have been, I personally, when I started this on this show, I was like Captain Enthusiasm. Then I sort of like turned to the dark side. Yeah. Whereas I, I, I feel a little bit more hopeful because of people like... Like Dennis Villeneuve. This yep. is all right. I know he's making a sequel, but he's such a, an original and exciting talent, and he has such an aesthetic style. So um, the film where most people thought, "Oh, okay, this guy's got something," was probably Prisoners, mm-hmm. the, the Hugh Jackman, Jake Gyllenhaal, mm-hmm. which I loved, which is just sensational, yeah. just wonderful. Uh, it's sort of like you, you could watch that again and again. Yeah, so, yeah. You know, it's just really beautifully made, dark as you like. And then he made Sicario, which I. I Probably preferred prisoners to be honest with you, but was a, that was a really big hit. Mm-hmm. I think Arrival is a classic, and I think in twenty thirty years time we will we will remember Arrival as, as a, a, a truly great movie. I, I, it's my favourite film of yeah. twenty sixteen. I loved it so hard. I actually felt that in doing a, a sequel, I thought, you know what, they're lo- they're lucky to have Denis Villeneuve rather than the other, other way around. That's yeah. how good this guy is. I think Daniel Craig wants him to to, direct to do Bond. A, yeah, a, a and he Bond. said the other day apparently that he would. <laughs> a very. I mean, he, where's he from? Maybe it's French a, Canadian. For, maybe it's a language thing, but he said he doing a Bond would make him very, very happy. So that's definitely not someone going. No, I, I won't do a Bond. Him doing a Bond would make would us all be very happy. So good, wouldn't it? Can you imagine? Chris Nolan, I think, will do a Bond one day. He will, but he said that he wants to do it with the full reinvention. That's right. Meaning a new actor. And not, he probably likes Craig, but he just wants to have that full autonomy over like everything. But I'm, I'm um, going to say it now. Go on. Nolan will do it when Craig has left and. It will be Nolan's pal Tom Hardy as Bond. I just, think? Th- I just think the stars are aligning for that to happen. Yeah, that's true. That could work. That and could especially work. if the deal with Sony... Does that mean we won't be able to understand what James Bond is saying? There'll be subtitles. <laughs> uh, we'll have to learn fra- French <laughs> to watch the dub version so we can understand what's going on. What is it with Tom Hardy and always being... I, I, like? I mean, it's... Is, is it like a running gag? <laughs> gag. <laughs> I don't get it. 
I don't understand why. Either that, either he does a he he picks an accent that you really struggle to hear, or he's got some kind of mask or something over his mouth. Maybe Bond wears a mask. Yeah, and does a Bane voice all the way through. Yeah, maybe. Uh, but that would be it. <laughs> That's uh, that sounds more like John Merrick. Yeah, it than, wasn't. Uh, it wasn't yeah. Yeah. I'd like to see that film, but um, I'd also like to see the. De- de- is it Dennis Denny? I don't I'm know. Go- I, I'm from Leeds. I'm going Dennis. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Den. Den. Um, oh, Den. <laughs> oh, Den, you got a nice visual eye. Yeah. Don't I mean Den? Yeah. Den. Yeah, yeah. You put it out of bag, didn't you, mate? Um, <laughs> I I would be very excited about Bonford, but but what do you think um, the chances are? Being the expert that you are, super high. Yeah. Why isn't it like well, the only, the announced worry, yet? Then, so the, well, the only worry is that Villeneuve selfishly wants to make Dune. Yeah, he's he's quite obsessed with Dune, so he doesn't want to do the Lynch version. He wants to do the source material. Okay. Well, can I just say now, Dan, if you're listening, Den, big fan of your Dune. work, big fan of your work, put Dune on hold. You can make Dune any time. Dune Den. anytime. And people, Dune's going nowhere. Yeah. People want. Craig's last bond to be really special, so go for it. What else have you got? Uh, Rush Hour 4. What? Yes. <laughs> Rush Hour 4. Is this uh, a franchise people are desperate for more of? It's a franchise I'm desperate for more of. <laughs> okay. Well, that's all that Rush matters. Hour, so we were talking about comedies recently. I would say Rush Hour 1 and 2 are classics of the, of the action comedy genre, which is a genre that's hard to get right. Rush Hour 3, let's just pretend that didn't happen. You know, Rush Hour 1 and 2, Chris Tucker negotiated such a clever deal that that's the reason why Chris Tucker barely does anything because he made such a sickening amount of cash from Rush Hour 2 he is made like gajillions is and that that's really why, it? yeah yeah he got I think it got like a percentage no Rush- but I mean like it, it, he, well you don't know well do you know Chris Tucker maybe has he done your gigs? CT yeah, yeah I know CT <laughs> CT. <laughs> he, CT at the ABC but obviously, a lot, of, obviously but- a lot of actors have big hits but they, but they still, still want to make stuff. They still want to make stuff. But if you if you check out Chris Tucker's back catalogue, well, I'm I'm in off the top of my head. I can't think of a single film he's done since, since the exactly. Rush since Hour, Hour, Hour films went crazy. How cool is that? It's the equivalent of you know you know you, you and your friends will have the, the the conversation. What if you won the Euro Millions jackpot? Yeah. Would you? Chris Tucker has basically answered that question, and he said, "I'm going to take it pretty easy. Thank <laughs> you very much, Chris Tucker. I salute you because you, you're sort of living the dream there. Yeah, Chris, we've got a film for you. You know what? I'm good." <laughs> Yeah, I'm all right, mate. I'm just chilling at the moment, actually. I'm just watching the Rush Hour franchise at home. (laughs) (laughs) Literally. I I like to think that Chris Tucker has a a vault of of cash and dives into it every morning, a la Scrooge McDuck. Um, So Jackie Chan has said uh, that he's up for it, Mm -hmm. but it's all on Chris Tucker. Let's make it happen. I like the first one. I don't even know if I've seen the second one. The second one is so good. Is it? Okay, well, I'll check that out. Uh, I love those movies. They've got a great great vibe about them. The chemistry between the two is just perfect. Rush Hour 3 is so weird that it's not a good movie. Why do I have a weird thing about franchises that they should be trilogies and then end there? When it's four or five, I get, but then I suppose, you know, Bond is a franchise that just runs and runs. It doesn't have to be. But I guess if it's about the same... But, 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 to, to back up your point, Bond is, is essentially a separate story each time. All right, I know there's a bit of an overarching arc in some of them, but generally speaking, they're all separate movies yeah. where other trilogies are, have been made. To, for example, the Star Wars movies comes out, come yeah. out as trilogies because they have a... They're, they're almost they're, like three acts. They're, right. they're, they're, they've especially like been designed to, to be three stories, haven't they? I don't like the, the fact that they're making an Indiana Jones film again. Another oh, no, one. whereas I think they need to do that. What, to try and right the wrongs of... 100%. Oh, my God, that was... What 
That was a travesty, that was. It was just jaw-droppingly bad. Oh, my... I'm sorry, because I love everyone involved. And that, those films were so such a big part of my childhood. I'd love to know... I would love to see the movie that Frank Dar- Darabon wrote and got told, no, you're all right. Yeah, because that... I mean, it was bound to be better than what they shot. Unless Frank Darabon did spat onto a piece of A4, I don't see how he could have been <laughs> Well, I, that <laughs> might... You know what? Be, <laughs> that is a film! Let's shoot this. <laughs> Let's shoot this. There might be something in there. Well, it sounds um, like he does spit on scripts. I think it... Well, yeah, it, well, indeed. Yeah. Uh, is <laughs> An angry, angry man. Um, you know what? That's I, probably why. I weirdly knew where. I sort of knew where he was coming from, though. What you mean, are you talking about? Walking Dead now? Yeah, the yeah. guy had a vision. He wanted it to be a certain way. Yeah. He cares. He's passionate. That's they a fucked off his um, uh, Indiana Jones script. Yeah, and then they and and then they kick him off a show he creates he's and showrunner on. He's he's an angry, angry man. People, He's got every right to be. Shawshank Redemption is one of the greatest movies of all time. He doesn't get the credit he deserves for that. <laughs> Frank Capra made It's a Wonderful Life. People adore Frank yeah. Capra. Oh, he gets, he gets the credit for Shawshank. Oh, Come I don't on. Know. He does. He, Frank Darabon? Yeah. Frank Darabon should still be banging out movies. Um, but let's go back to Indiana Jones for a second. Yes, I, I would love to. I'm sorry. Do you remember the sword fight? The CGI sword fight? I what just, is going on? No, but let's not bash the, the film too much. My issue is that he's playing a character who is all about running and punching. And, yes. and he's just not at that. Like, I, I get it if he's playing someone that can't quite do that but does it anyway but not where that's the sole point of the character is that he's this adventurer it just looks a bit embarrassing embarrassing because Bond Craig's Bond could get away with it because th- there's like a running thread with Bond that he's a bit over the hill but yeah. he's still able to pull it off yeah. whereas Harrison God bless him you know, when, you know how old he's going to be when the next film comes out oh, I don't Ninety three. No, he's not. No, I'm joking. I'm joking. <laughs> <laughs> I was with. I was totally there. I was like, oh my god. Because like, in Star Wars, they just about got around the fact that when he runs, he looks like a doddery old man. Yeah. And I'm sorry, Harrison. Like, I'm a big fan of yours, but What's your it favorite happens Harrison to Ford everyone. Movie? Um, oh my Listeners, god. shout out your answer. I would go for outside of the franchises. No, inside, pick whatever you like. I know what mine is. I'm writing it down now. I mean, like, I, I was. I think I was always. I, th- I reckon you, we've got the same one. I don't know. You know, I think it's either in the franchises. It's um, it's got to be uh, Indiana Jones, possibly the first or the. Th- I, li- I like the third one, mate. This is I why like you and I get on so well. The third movie. I thought I tried to lost your boy. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> we talked on, about this. Stop we talked about this. But um, I, I love Witness. Oh, I'm a and sh- that is why <laughs> that I'm go. holding up a piece of paper with Frantic. the word Witness. Frantic, severely underrated movie. Not seen since I was a child. P- Polanski, really? Who you know? There's I mean, issues though there as well. There are. You know? I mean, we're yeah. going to talk about Mr. White. Speaking of issues, because yeah. we we've talked Polanski on here in the past. We've yeah. talked Woody Allen in the past, yeah. and obviously the, the Weinstein thing. Yeah. I mean, uh, and, and again, just I'm, to touch on that. Yeah. He Kudos apolog- to Rose McGowan and Ashley Judd as well. He he apolo- he's apologising and suing. Uh, uh, reportedly, yes. So, so he's like, oh, sorry, guys, see you in court. <laughs> yeah. Sorry, guys, with his fingers crossed. But it's a bit weird to do that, because if there's remorse and apologies, but he's saying some of what you said isn't true, it's like, that's pretty murky, isn't it? And also, if it's going to go to court, surely that will only mean that more things come to light. True. I mean, it's awful, isn't it, that these things go on and have done for so long. I know. 
but then I, don't, I just I mean it's the problem is is I, my head my head as a host is going can we really delve into this subject with only a couple of minutes spare well, tell you what, I we'll don't do, think we can you can't do you can't do bullet points on something like this it's we'll, just too big we'll do a we'll do a really clunky one show style gear change do you see Mel Brooks talking on the one show about because they go from like something hilarious to something tragic oh them, right so on a positive note I was, I was I've just been going through the because this is the kind of guy I am I was going through the the box office takings for, for 2017 and I know that we talked about this in the past and it can be quite grim reading the amount of sequels and yeah. remakes and reboots and spin-offs and what have you however uh, three original truly original movies have, have performed very very well this year and that's uh, Baby Driver mm-hmm. uh, Dunkirk and Get Out yeah and these have all been these and all The been, Big Sick as well Maybe not quite as big as no, no, those. I think, but I think you're absolutely right to include that. Yeah. And these are movies that are uh, that are not just uh, original in terms of they're not sequels, but actually they they looked and felt original. Mm-hmm. I mean, Baby, Baby Driver. I mean, that the, you don't see many movies like that ever, do you? Really? Even if even if people who don't like it, at least Edgar Wright was trying something. Yeah. It's my favourite Edgar Wright film. Is since it? Shaun of the yeah, Dead. Yeah, yeah. Definitely. I'd probably agree with you. And there, then actually. and then also to tie it back to Denis Villeneuve, I just think that. Uh, Studios are perhaps realising that we, the Ponser, actually want original, movies. different. You know what movies that are movies, good yeah. because some, because some of the films, even even Spider Man, even Spider Man Homecoming, which is a terrific film, but perhaps suggested a sequel, reboot, remake fatigue. Because while it did well, it, it didn't. It's it's I think it's like fifth or sixth on, on the list this year. Which, when you're talking about Spider-Man, but, yeah, Marvel two, will two be quite, years ago that would have been number di- one. They will be yeah. quite disappointed with that. I 100% agree. I feel like there is a tiny bit of hope. Even the, the only problem is they're not making the same sort of money as the big tentpole movies. But the fact that they're making a lot of profit, if you take the, into the account the profit margin on the, Get Out, was you know, eye-watering. I think it's just like, please, studio bosses. Take a punt. Take more punts. Yeah. Believe, like, let's go back to the 60s when, you know, <laughs> before Samino uh, destroyed a whole film studio <laughs> with his flop. <laughs> but, like, let's put a bit more trust into directors and, and original stories. Listen, mate, I'm so sorry that we have to wrap up a bit earlier today. My, pl- my I love you. I let's, love this show. Let, uh, yeah, come back and let's, um, let's, I mean, yeah, I can't. I've, I've got to wrap this up. We have a brilliant, <laughs> we've got a brilliant guest today, uh, the, the wonderful Matt Holness. Matthew Holness. Oh, can I quickly say? Yeah. Um, it's got to be quick. Super quick. I interviewed Ricky Gervais. It's yeah. out on Monday. Yeah. Balance magazine. It's out in London. Yeah. There's big David Brent news in there. Okay. okay. See it on Monday. All right. Balance can, magazine. Can you say anything? That's more than enough. Tr- just trust me. Okay. okay. All right. Um, so uh, yeah, we got Matt Holness coming up. You'll know him from. Uh, this is this is crazy how much this uh, show has had an effect on people that we're still talking about it, which is which I love. Uh, from Garth Marenghi, it's like 15 years old or something, and people still reference and love that show. Um, uh, I think he did uh, Man to Man, Dean Lerner as well. Supreme and talent. He's a supreme talent. He was brilliant. Um, Live performer, but now he's writing and directing. He's got a feature film coming out soon. Uh, we're going to chat to him in a minute. This is his first choice of his two songs from movies. This is Cut My Hair by The Who. First thing in the morning. 
Cut My Hair by Pete Townsend. Well, I guess Pete Townsend, because that is the demo, but uh, The Who as well. Um, that is the first choice of our two songs from our guest today, Matthew Holness. Hello, Matthew. Hello there. Um, you, you specifically requested the Pete Townsend demo. I did, yes. I actually prefer it. Yeah. But, um, Do you prefer his voice to Daughtry? Uh, well, he actually sings. He actually sings it on, oh, the, does he on sing the album. It's from oh. Quadrophenia. He actually sings it on the album. But um, but I think the, I, I just think the demo is absolutely brilliant. I think it's, it's it goes a little bit almost reggae in the middle there. Yeah, yeah, it, yeah, it? yeah. In fact, there's lots of lot of the demos are very different from the actual album. Particularly yeah. like the the track that everyone knows. Um, Can you see the real me? And that's kind of very slow and different on the demos. Right. But they came out in a big box set, and it was the demos are just brilliant. So. Are you you're a big Who fan? I am a big Who fan. Who yes. fan? Yes. I. I've, I've got to say, I've never fully got into the Who. I love a lot of those seventies era, yeah, yeah. the Zeppelins, and um, I even like the Doors, which I know some people hate because it's quite pretentious. So, you I know, got the into the Doors recently. Poetry thing, yeah. you know, yeah. But um, the Who. I, do you know what my issue with the Who is? Go I on. love the band. Yeah, I'm not so as into. The f- auto destruction? No, <laughs> just the 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 front man, like the Daltrey. Yeah, I've never bought into his. I know what you mean. His thing, and I always think it's really Pete Townsend's band, and he's sort of there. Well, you, to can, you can kind of just look at Pete. Yeah, you can kind of just shift. You know, <laughs> so I, you know. Do you think there? I know are what people- you mean. I know Daltrey's not quite. You kind of don't think he's quite as powerful as he needs to be. But I kind of, I don't know. I lo- I, lo- I just I just, love, just him. love him. I love yeah. Daltrey. Yeah. Do you, and you like did, you didn't go and see the the, the short lived West End musical of uh, Tommy? Tommy? Yeah. Yes, I did. did you? I did very long time ago though. Yeah. But I've I've have seen the Who a few times as well. Oh. Yeah, and they are still amazing. Aren't they, they are. They yeah. are. Yeah. yeah. Uh, what's, what, did you just pick that because you like the song, or do you like the um, do you like the whole Quadrophenia thing? I like the whole album, but I like that. That's my favourite song from it, and I like it because it's. It's probably the most truthful kind of take on the teenage experience. I yeah. think it's completely warts and all. It's you know it's it's incredibly sad, incredibly angry, and there's just a million different emotions going on in that track. I think, and it's it's this great. Is something you resonated with, yeah, it a, does. Yeah, I, yeah. I looked, mm. I did a little Wikipedia about you because you know that's that's right. the extent of my research yep. with everyone. Yep. Uh, it says you were born in Whitstable. I was. Yeah. Did you grow up in Whitstable? I did. Yeah. In fact, I wasn't born in Whitstable. I was born in Canterbury and I grew up in Whitstable. So yeah. were you like uh, the Tommy of Whitstable? <laughs> <laughs> were you more like? Uh, did you? Were you an angsty teenager? in that uh, well yeah, yeah I think like any, you know like yeah. any teenager really yeah. uh, my grandparents lived in Hearn Bay just down the oh, road uh, yeah, okay, for yes, about yes. five or six years yep. in the late 80s were you there then oh it was yeah, it was rough then well yeah. yeah it's not the place it is now is it well Hearn Bay is still not quite as uh, as refined as Whitstable has become yeah. But um, what's happened to Whitstable? Why do you know it what it was? So it was when Tipping the Velvet came out, and right. everyone suddenly went, "Oh, have you heard of Whitstable? It's this wonderful place um, on Tipping the uh, that we're on Tipping the Velvet." But apparently, all talking in you know speaking in Cornish accents. But anyway, it was overnight. Everyone flooded down to Whitstable, and the rest is Whitstable's history. And um, is yeah. it like ridiculously expensive there now? And it is, and you yeah. used to be able to go for a walk on the beach, and it was actually quite nice because there was no one there. But you, you go down there for your nice, quiet, private walk on the beach, and there's about I don't know, hundreds and hundreds of people doing exactly the same thing, all looking miserable because they can't find their little quiet moment. Oh man! So oh, it's sort of gone. Come, it's eaten itself alive, <laughs> isn't it? 
do you live in Norfolk? I do, yep. yeah. Yeah. So you've gone yeah. from an, a windswept town in Kent to... To another one, yeah. 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 What's, what, what's the choice for living in uh, Norfolk? I wasn't driving at the time, and mm. my partner and I just decided to get on a train to visit a few places to see where we might want to live. And we liked where we ended up and thought, is it worth you know spending more on a train fare? No, so we just decided to move there. Yeah. Okay, you should based your entire future on one more travel card. Yeah, basically. Yeah. yeah. Uh, there's a few other people from like the comedy world that live in that area, aren't there? Doesn't yes. Adam Buxton? Adam live? Buxton lives there. Yeah. Um, Graham Linehan lives there, I believe. Yeah. Um, and but yeah. you don't see these people on a. I don't see anyone. No. Don't see anyone, mate. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's, I, I'm always sort of weirdly envious of people that like have the courage to move out of London because you always there's always this thing hanging over your head that you'll like be out of some sort of loop if you don't live in London or well, something you, well you kind of are you um but it's it you know I suppose when you get whenever you come back to do a day's work or something in London but just everyone asks you what what's why what, what yeah. what's it like out there you know <laughs> Okay, well, it's kind of, you know... It's a passive-aggressive way to start yeah. a conversation, <laughs> yeah. isn't it? It's like, what are you um, thinking? But no, I mean, you know, it's fine. It's, it's kind of... I, do, I am now motorway man. I do right. kind of sort of, you know, the, the lonely business went up and down the motorway, stopping off at services. Yeah. But, but that's fine. I don't mind that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, do you, uh, the reason I wanted to get you in specifically, um, yeah. I'm, you know, I've always loved your work, but I... Uh, we share a friend, uh, a colleague in James Harris, the mm. producer, and he's obviously t- told me a few things about the film that you've just yeah, yeah. directed. And I'm so fascinated by, the, well, I mean, I don't know how well he pitched, you know, like the elevator pitch, as they call it, the, the sort of one liner. Well, he, I mean, he was saying it's, it's about a map. This is if I, I may have got this wrong. That's all right. But something to do with a, a puppeteer. Yeah. Is he possessed? No. No, that's no. where I got wrong already. But he's, he's... Disgraced. Disgraced. Yeah. That's it. Let me just put a bit of... Are you really hot? Cause it's I a bit am, warm, yeah, actually. Yeah, it's a bit hot, isn't it? Trying to get this room the right temperature yeah. is, is... Maybe it's just the chemistry we have. <laughs> <laughs> so why don't you do the uh, elevator pitch for Well, this? okay. Well, I suppose it's probably important to say that it's not, it's not a funny film. It's okay. not... Um, you know, and people might think it might be because I've done like, a spoof horror stuff before. And it's not. It's a serious horror film. Uh, it's about a, a, a puppeteer, a disgraced puppeteer, returns home uh, with the intention of destroying his puppet. And it's sort of drawing on things. Like, this is not an elevator pitch, by the way. Um, this is so I've already gone way beyond an, eleva- <laughs> an elevator pitch. Um, so he comes home to just to sort of destroy the puppet that he thinks is the cause of all his problems. But uh, the puppet won't kind of die. And, uh, and the rest okay. of the film is about him having to, uh, to kind of deal with everything that the puppet throws at him. And where does an idea like that come from? Um, I was asked to contribute to a book of short stories by Comma Press called The New Uncanny, uh, in which they, they asked a load of writers to uh, re- revisit and reinvent uh, Freud's theory of the, uh, theories of the uncanny for mm-hmm. a kind of modern audience. So I wrote it for that. It was a story called Possum. And, uh, and then since then, I decided I thought it might make a good, good horror film. Yeah. So I sort of decided to expand it and... Uh, it definitely has that. Uh, it feels when, as you were describing it to me, it definitely feels like the makings of those kind of very culty, uh, you know, Stephen King esque mm. um, uh, uh, horror films, rather than you know the 
blood and guts and that kind of thing. Yeah, there's, you know, there's very little of that kind of stuff in this at all. It's well, it's not that. It's yeah. It's more kind of a. It's more of a kind of psychological horror film. Really. Mm. Um, I mean, it's 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 not it's not pleasant. No. <laughs> uh, is it? Uh, you've. You've screened it, haven't you? You screened it. No, we've not no? screened it. We screened a clip. We we screened a clip, a, a three minute clip, at, um, or two minute clip at Fright Fest. Yeah, and Norwich, the Norwich Crime Festival. Norwich, yeah. Norwich, which is great. Yeah, that yeah. is brilliant. Yeah. Um, do, is that like? Do they struggle to get enough noir in Norwich? No, not at all. In no. fact, a couple of years back, I went and saw Lee Child. Um, oh, really? Doing a talk in Gerald's department store in Norwich. Amazing. And so they get all the big names, yeah. What did he, I wonder what he th- thought of Norwich. Uh, I think, well, because he's written a book, um, one of his books is set in Norfolk, and, he got, and it's quite funny watching a crime audience because they're actually so unforgiving. They didn't really care it was Lee Child there. They just sort of laid into him and said, you've got all the locations here completely wrong. <laughs> and he sort of said, but well, you're trying, you've got to try and understand, I'm writing largely for an Ameri- American yeah. audience. And they want, they've got an idea of what Norwich and Norfolk and is, is like, and that's what I'm writing for. So it's, and, but they were all kind Lee of... Lee Child well, is the Jack Reacher guy. Yeah yeah, 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 yeah. I love that Norwich, you know, even though people don't um, bring culture to Norwich or like bring tons of things to Norwich all the time, when they do, when someone sets something that could be read across the world, rather than be grateful, they're nitpicking about the detail of names of well, streets. That's readers and for you. Yeah. That is readers. That's yeah. particularly genre readers. They're, you know, they're very kind of yeah. you know, demanding. I, I guess I, I guess I get that. Uh, you got Sean Harris. Um, mm. I guess before this interview, I was assuming it was going to be at least in part comedic. Your film, yeah, it's um, not at all. There's not one, not one light moment, isn't there? And how did that feel compared to? Because you're obviously known mostly for yeah. comedy. Mm. How did that feel getting coming onto set and directing? You know, a proper actor as well. And well, it's and uh, you know, uh, ch- challenging, absolutely challenging. But it's something. It's not. I mean, I haven't. Wasn't the first time I've done anything sort of uh, completely serious. I did a. Uh, a drama for Sky Arts called The Snipist which was similarly bleak and dark okay. and not remotely um, kind of comedic I th- to be honest I mean that's the stuff I would rather be doing that's what I'm sort of concentrating on I don't really do a great deal of comedy anymore yeah. but it's quite a hard transition you know because as you say people expect you to kind of be doing something a bit you know yeah, more yeah. light hearted so yeah that's kind of how are you finding <clears throat> like what do you feel like you have to do because I've Come you on know. here and basically tell people. Tell people, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah like just you know broadcast it, <laughs> yeah, to the yeah. to the world. Yeah. Um, I, I suppose that is what you have to do, yeah. isn't it? I mean, I've done I've done a few things where I'm like switching to slightly different genres, or but nothing, nothing really extreme. It's not like going from you know Mrs. Brown's Boys to you know yeah. Ken Loach or something. But e- but even when you just switch it or change what you're doing a bit, there is a you do sort of get a confused reaction from people, don't you? Absolutely. In fact, the first time, I remember seeing the first time we screened The Snipist, I mean, people just started laughing at it straight away. I mean, very quickly they realised it wasn't meant to be funny. Was that um, a tense experience? Well, it was, because I thought, I wondered, <laughs> is it just bad? And they are laughing because it's so atrocious. But um, You hadn't pre-prepared the no. idea that they would be looking at it. I suppose, in a way, if you presented people with, say, a drama and said, this is a comedy, yeah. that there must be a percentage of time in the first like five, ten minutes where people are maybe laughing, thinking they're meant to be. Yeah. Until you go, hang on, this just isn't. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's. It was when we started shooting dogs, they realised it wasn't funny. So, oh. Yeah. But that. 
that could be funny. Could be funny, could not the way we funny. shot them. It was that so. weird. <laughs> no, how? How how bad is it? Uh, well, military lining them up and oh, just sort of Jesus. putting them down. Okay. Without yeah. This is in the snipe. That's sniper's. the snipest. Yeah. So, yeah, but yeah. not not uh, yeah. possum. No. Um, so what's happening with possum? Are you do you have uh, distribution dates? Uh, that's well, ask James. That's out of my hands to be yeah. perfectly honest. Um, it's I mean it's finished. It's yeah. ready. Um, so we're just waiting for yeah. Waiting. How do you, how do you get some? Okay, so you've got. Not only is it already hard to get British independent films made, but you're also trying to go against brand. Mm. Mm. How difficult was it from... Well, it was very difficult because um, up until James came on the scene, basically, Mm. and I'll move on to that in a second, but but it was difficult in that uh, I did this other short. The first short I did was Gun for George, which was actually a mixture of tones. It was, you know, half comedic, half serious. Yeah. Comedic? Is that comic or comedic? I don't know. I hope I'm not using the wrong, you know, sort of US terminology there. But um, so, yes, yeah, so that if, was quite a if tricky. Someone could tweet us and yeah. let, <laughs> let us know. know. That'd be good. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that was, yes, yeah, so, so that was actually quite hard because when it came to writing like the feature length version, I was still trying to juggle. Um, the kind of humorous tone and the kind of the tragedy comic tone basically mm-hmm. and it's which is a lot easier to do in a 17 minute short because you can the kind of sudden shift in tone works but actually trying to do that in a 90 minute film it i couldn't i could never quite get the point where it would you know suddenly become quite a serious film and, and the trouble is the audience are kind of invested in a certain yeah. type of film and i think at that point if you tell them it's suddenly you know oh it's actually a tragic story then i think they they feel shortchanged and it's so it's kind of never really worked as a script so that was that was quite problematic because then it was do i make it a comedy or do i make it right. a fully serious film and i never quite could decide either way so in the end that project got kind of parked for you know temporarily um but 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 that is the kind of that's the, that's the slight problem I have in that people expect funny stuff and you know. do, is there, uh, do you think there are any films that do that where or where the tone can or change completely at some point later on in I always feel like some I've, I've, I can't think of anything off the top of my head but I feel like there's been times where I'm like going hang on this isn't what I bought into mm. you know well I think it's the, the more subtly done, the better it is. I think something like With Nail and I, which is hugely funny, but mm. then has a very, very different kind of, you know, bittersweet sort of ending. And, they, and that I think that handles that transition really well. Yeah. Um, I think because it feels quite tragic, even in its yeah, comedy, yeah. you may be you're not too surprised, but yeah. actually it is quite a down ending, isn't it? I think it? that's it. If, you, if, if, the, if, the, if the story is about something that's inherently tragic, failure of one kind or another, you know, then... Then I think it's you know that's you're halfway there anyway. Mm-hmm. But um, I don't know. It's something that you know I, I couldn't quite get right at the time. Hopefully, but you know, we'll do. presumably you did at some point, and because you, you got to make the film, and someone gave you yeah, money to. Well, this in terms of possum, yes. Yeah. So James, I mean, basically wrote wrote the script and um, and actually was something that I thought no one would ever make because it's just so unpleasant and. Um, but James sort of read it and got in touch and said, uh, "Yeah, no, that's you know, this I, I love this. It's 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 so horrible." <laughs> so, um, and I was really surprised that that there was actually interest in it quite you know quite quickly. Yeah, and, you know, we, and I was expecting it to be kind of thanks. We you know just can we not ask Matt for anything else? <laughs> so, can yeah. you tell him not to come to London, yeah. please? Anymore? Yeah. Uh, you shot it in Norfolk, right? That's right. Yeah. 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 So half just, half in Norfolk, half in uh, Three Mills Studio, London. Is that was that 
just for ease or was it set in it's it was set there yeah, it's, it's set definitely there. set there um actually it wasn't actually set anywhere specific actually i tell a lie it wasn't set anywhere specific but having been up there and written it around there i was kind of essentially basing it on yeah. that kind of area so we ended up yeah and we kind of figured it would be um quite a good place to set it and i sort of went oh that's good i can go home every night not yeah. have to you know stay away so, yeah. I love that Brit- uh, British countryside has now become this kind of, um, for Americans they must be so confused because on the one hand they go, oh it's so twee and lovely yeah. like in four weddings and a funeral and then on the other hand it's, it's like um, straw dogs or yeah. you know yeah. it's, it's just, it's either, or with Nell and I, it's either this really grim yeah, yeah. wet, dark, horrible place or incredibly beautiful, full of you know rich people yeah absolutely i mean it's kind of you're you know, contributing to the darker side the of kitchen sink side yeah that <laughs> yeah. kind of side yeah absolutely um are you so you say you want to do more of this kind of yeah. thing mm. which um i hope you get to do and uh, uh but does that mean you're sort of completely shutting the door on comedic not, comic not not, stuff? Com- not completely um I was in Back, which, yeah. I, which I thought was fantastic. Um, I watched was so the, so funny. Yeah, I watched the first episode last night because um, I've been away, so I haven't just catching up on it. And uh, I really there was some bits in there I was really laughing at. It's amazing. Um, the scripts were so kind of brilliant; they just had me laughing out loud when I read yeah. them. So, so that was you know there was that was really I was really pleased to be involved yeah. with that. Um, I'm playing someone dead dead yeah. <laughs> and a lot older than you actually are yes. in some parts yes yeah, yeah. Um, vocally did you because there was in the one episode I've seen yeah. you, there's that whole thing around the uh, the, the voicemail the yes, answer yeah. machine thing yeah. did you have to do some vocal work to sound older in that or did you just I don't know I, <laughs> I remember I know we recorded it a few times we recorded it on location then we did it again in the studio so I don't know which version I got really wrong <laughs> so. um, and these are uh, this is the first time is this the first time you've worked with Robert and David in a while Cause in a while yeah. yeah in fact the first the first thing I ever did was with Robert and David that was Bruiser, Bruiser. Was I remember Bruiser yeah, yeah. this is pre BBC Three Days so it was on one oh, of God, those yeah, sort this of is back in, in, fact, in fact I think it was BBC Two I think I mean it was well. When was it? 1999, I think. But that had, literally haven't worked with Rob and Dave since then. So, wow. yeah, it was really nice to, to yeah. sort of work with them. Again. And you actually did your scenes with them, didn't you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. They sort of change age in those yeah. flashbacks and stuff. Yeah. It's quite weird because it, it was just literally I would step on, d- say a line, then step off, and then yeah. that was it. So <laughs> it was kind of it was it was a it was a really enjoyable and, and you know and yeah it was just. It was a nice experience. Just hit, hit your mark, say the line. Yeah, basically. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's nice. Um, would you, if they do a second one, would they keep with the? I have no idea. No idea. With that that theme of it. I'm not sure where it's going in terms of the story of the brothers and mm. the, you know, his house. I think Simon. I think. I mean, I, th- I think Simon's planned it all. I think yeah. there, it's definitely, you know, it's been worked out as far as I know. But um, it feels yeah. bizarrely. Um, grown up for channel four as well it does yeah do you know what I'm it does it, it kind of feels this almost not traditional but it's like a traditional in the sense that it's extremely well structured yeah. extremely well written and extremely well performed by rob and david and all the other members of yeah. the cast and i think that you know yeah it's kind of something that i don't know it's it, you kind of feel that there aren't that many or it doesn't it feels new to me because it's kind of like you know comedy for people that are older you yeah. know and we used to sort of 
being told, no, we're not interested in you guys anymore because you're, yeah, you're yeah, getting yeah. on a bit now. So, yeah, oh, it's kind of... <clears throat> there's hope for us, yeah. Yeah. Um, I, so you, you won't be writing... You're not, you're not pitching new comedy stuff I for have, TV? I have. I've actually pitched... Well, I'm, I'm very happy with it, which is another kind of horror parody script, but it has literally been turned down by every single broadcaster in the UK. Yeah. So... <laughs> God. So... <laughs> yes, I know that feeling. Yeah. I know it. So, uh, you know. What is it about, com- uh, about horror that comedy people love so much? Why is there a connection there? I, I, I don't know. I, I wonder if it's something to do with... Mm, I wonder if it's something to do with the structure of the writing. And, and I mean, you know, like structuring a joke works on certain rules. Yeah, you know, yeah. For, you know, there's a formula to it. <clears throat> and I think it's a similar thing with with writing something frightening there's certain beats you need to you build, know, like yeah. the build up and the payoff and yeah all and if that it's too much you know if, if you know you can you know when you've like really pushed a joke the wrong way and you have to come and it, i think it's the same thing there's that immediate sort of response as well of you know the audience will yeah. be very unforgiving if they think it's not funny that you'll know about it and, and if they're not frightened or or, or it looks stupid they'll yeah. know about it so. if you can't hear a reaction <laughs> then it's a genre you're not interested yeah. in i think <laughs> yeah, yeah exactly <laughs> i don't yeah. like just uh, waiting for the applause yeah. at the very end i need to hear yeah. I need to hear validation throughout <laughs> the thing. Um, I yeah, I've, always, I've I've found it that it's it's a weird. Um, people say that co- horror comedy anyway is a really difficult thing to get right, but actually in this country, in an industry where we're still massively dragging behind mm. as a British, British film industry, it seems to be the one thing that certainly the indies do pretty well yeah, still. Yeah, absolutely, and. Um, there's a lot of like B movie, cult movie influence as well. Um, are you, you're not doing, you're certainly not doing. I think the, one of the last times I we've interacted briefly was at Noel Fielding did a charity show at the uh, Royal Albert Hall. Yes, yeah. And you did a bit there, but mm. I don't recall you doing really much live stuff. No, in fact, the last gig I ever did was at Bouche Fest, which was oh, I okay. think two, was that 2008 now. God. I think that was when it was. I literally That's scary that it's yeah, that long I've not ago. done any performing since then. Yeah. So. Did you ever enjoy it? No. Nope. Ever? Not really. Not no. even Edinburgh when, you know, you guys were doing so well at the, you know... Not really. You, there wasn't a sense of, yeah, we've, we've cracked Edinburgh. No, not no. really. In fact, we were all quite relieved to sort of get out of Edinburgh, to be yeah. perfectly honest. In fact, we was, I can remember us just holding on for dear life and sort of saying, look, we just have to get through the end of this run and then we can kind of go and not, not worry about coming back, which sounds incredibly awful, and, you know, but it is true. I think that if you actually ask comedians their experience of Edinburgh, it's not a pleasant time. No. It's, it, you know, the worst comes out in everyone in Edinburgh. Oh, the egos awful. go flying, uh, you know, and also paranoia. In, the, in <clears throat> what other um, circumstance are you so directly pitted against yeah. so many other people? And as much as you could go in going, it's a festival, it's not a competition... Yeah. Well, you know, try telling that to the the inner critic. Exactly, and know. it's you know, it's um, it's just, hugely expensive for everyone as well. You know, you, you're going up there and you're losing, you know, a small fortune. <laughs> I just, I guess, uh, the reason I'm surprised just saying that is, I'm, I'm on the one hand, I'm not surprised because I think any person with any self awareness or sort of ability to go into a bit of an inward looking part mm. of their brain, you have to be so like 
either zen or yeah. so massively confident to not be affected by yeah. that experience yeah. so if you've even got a slight bit of it i get like i think most 90 percent of people struggle up there but from afar because i didn't really know you um in at that time but mm. from afar it looked like you guys arrived so fully formed like your show seems so you know a lot of people take a few years to find their voice yeah. and get their thing but you guys just landed and it was like here's our thing it, it felt really not polished as in like slick but yeah. just like you knew exactly what you were doing and well i think we'd you know we'd worked on it a long time we'd sort of w worked on the character um and and that all that sort of and i think we'd even written a small little tiny five minute radio thing or something we, we kind of knew the characters very well yeah but you know it was partly down to uh just you know we we had um paul king was our our kind of director mm -hmm. for the stage and he was just very very good and you know we we just were well drilled i think you know what i mean so so you'd been doing garth Marenghi for a while had you not not live really we'd sort of done the odd thing we started off doing some stuff at um nolan julian's uh, comedy night at the Hen and Chickens, mm -hmm. so that's where we kind of did little bits, um, little bits that ended up in the in the stage shows. But but we all had done, you know, all of us had done Edinburgh shows, yeah. you know, in various forms. Um, so we'd kind of done it a few times yeah, yeah. Um, before kind of going up with that show. Did you do you find it surprising? Because I I definitely feel like the TV version I'm talking about of Galmarengi still, even though it must be. 15 years yeah i reckon it's 13 i think 13. actually 13 i think is it was, it, 2000, it was 2003 2004 so 14 sort of stuff. something like that know, very bad at math yeah, well, yeah. <laughs> uh, let's not let's not do us. a math a math a maths uh, podcast that's for sure that's it, right be, yeah be awful it's 13 uh, it's that yeah. i just worked it out it could well, be 14 depending what time depending on when we yeah. started um but considering it was that long ago it surprises me how much the show still gets referenced yeah, not yeah. as in you know not because of the quality of the work but like it's it feels like wow people obviously loved that show mm. and for any show that does one season and isn't like a crossover massive hit yeah when when it's got that sort of loyal um fan base do you do you, do people still talk to you about it yeah they do yeah, yeah. they do and it's, you know and it's it's nice to know that it kind of i suppose what resonated right? yeah what's i suppose what's gratifying is that i always like shows that mean meant a lot to me and you know and i yeah. think if, if if you know if that sh if our show means something to someone else and they you know that, that's lovely that's kind of perfect that's yeah, you know yeah. that's that was the aim i think how but, did you feel about it at the time when it went out and were you oh, god i can't remember it was um, i can't honestly remember it was a bit strange i think was it know? yeah yeah because yeah. it was pretty cool it was well maybe it wasn't actually 2003 it felt like you did the edinburgh thing and then you went into that yeah. and all a bit of a whirlwind then i feel like you got quite a few parts where you were a variation of yeah. you know yeah <laughs> was that a, a beef of yours well it kind of still is because most of the parts that come you know that i get offered are of effectively well they used to be kind of like are, you know similar kind of computer nerds yeah and um and now they're kind of computer nerds but a bit more sinister and older so they're invariably <laughs> balding fat oh, middle-aged men what's worse a young enthusiastic computer nerd or they're a all awful that's why i just turned them down yeah. <laughs> 
Yeah. And are they often? Is, does it actually say in the part the description computer? Yeah, names, and that's the, the depressing oh, thing. God. Well, the, the depressing is just reading the description. I always go to the description first, and mm. you know it's invariably soul destroying. So. <laughs> You don't really turn down parts just because of that, do you? Oh, I do. I don't. Do I, mean, I don't really do much. That's no. it. I don't really do much. I, I'm not. I've never been interested in kind of just doing it for the sake of you know being in a yeah. show or on you know. And that's, that might sound a bit kind of pompous, but it is true. I, I've got no real interest to just. De- I'm not desperate to kind of be. Well, I know why. Because you're not paying London rents. Well, there you that's go. That's why you can afford <laughs> to not be picky. <laughs> I like that. I like that. Um, I we I was. Uh, directing a pilot that you came in and uh, that's right yeah, yeah and you good. were brilliant you were brilliant in it um, thank you you didn't cast me no we didn't no. but you know why <laughs> and hopefully you'll, you'll be flattered by this you just didn't look old enough oh fair enough yeah. that's, that's very nice yeah but we, we you were brilliant we thought oh, you well, did an amazing and that, that was, was like good. as an ex-stuntman so that definitely wasn't computer techie guy yeah no that's true that's um, true that, yeah. was, that was fun um, so you're obviously waiting to hear if uh, you get distribution I'm presuming you will it sounds you've got good people in yeah the, I mean in the James, James is James Harris is, is incredible and yeah. you know he's um, he's a doer isn't he's he? a doer and, and I think that's that was what he, he just has this knack of making you feel like it's going to happen you know the, the film will happen it, yeah. was, it was never that feeling of well, it might it might not it was just no it's go- it'll happen you know so yeah, we're going to yeah. do this this so he's just got a great kind of attitude that just gives you confidence and it's almost you- a bit like yeah, no don't worry yeah yeah yeah, yeah, yeah and yeah. you're a bit like yeah how can you be so calm yeah uh, yeah, do you um, do, get Sean Harris is in it what, are there other people that we would know in Alan the Armstrong oh yeah great. Alan Armstrong Alan Armstrong what, two brilliant, brilliant. Ca- character yeah. actors proper like characters I find Sean a bit scary and he, I've never met him but I just imagine he's got a real he's got he's got such a presence doesn't well, he, he? Yeah, maybe it's because he always plays you know, psychopaths. Well, he isn't, and he's a method actor, so you know when he's on set, he's in character. And you know, if you've written an incredibly depressing yeah, uh, horror film <laughs> and you've cast in it, then you're going to have that, you know, that as guy. the environment that you're filming in, and that's wow. all the way. You know, that's how he does it. So, okay, um, so yeah. for aspiring directors who might work with method actors, mm. how do you approach someone who is in character between takes? Well, I kind of feel that I haven't mastered that yet. So you know, I, <laughs> I don't think I guy. have advice at the moment in that it's it's tough but it's um i think you've just got to kind of respect the actor's space really yeah. you know there's nothing worse than kind of being quizzed you know what do you want for lunch when you're just you know mm-hmm. going into some intense you part know. of your brain yeah so yeah, yeah. i think it's it's kind of allowing the actor the space and just having time and talking it through i think you know sean and i did a lot of you know we discussed the script loads before we even went into kind of filming so yeah. it's just you know that's the way he works and you know and, and he's, you know, he's done great so and then he went from your thing to mission impossible yeah yeah six or yeah. whichever one it is yeah that must that must be weird going from that to that yeah um i uh, i often hear like from sort of uh, very established movie directors and I, don't, I never know whether this is a cop out or not, but I think I think it's mostly true that uh, they say you know most of the work directing an actor is the casting. Mm. If you give it to the right person, that's like seventy percent of the job done. I think so, and 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 knowing that, then being able to if you're certainly if you're the writer and the director of the same thing, then kind of tweaking that script with the actor to yeah. varying degrees, which we did, you know. Um, and you know some of Sean's 
um, input on the script was great because you know there were certain speeches and things like that we just needed to kind of you know ch- shift a little bit to kind of and, and yeah so it would you know this it, it yeah it's a, a really important part of yeah. that process i think do you enjoy that bit or are you more a technical guy or? well i am i, I kind of mixture I'm, I'm more on the technical side particularly with it being a horror film because for me it was wanting to ensure that you know you can't really make a horror film without being technical i think yeah um but at the same time I, you know, I, I always, I never kind of, I'm not one of those sort of writers that when the script's done, that's it, it has to be that, you know, you cannot change a line, yeah, you yeah. know, you, you miss this. So not at all. I'm very flexible in that sense. You know, I like the flexibility of being able to change things, tweaking them, getting them right, you know, because that, so much changes when you're on set anyway. Yeah. You know, you've, some things don't happen because you literally can't get into the location you were thinking you were going to, you know, we didn't even have some of the locations halfway through filming so yeah. it was kind of you know you just have to kind of adapt to, to whatever do you, problems arise yeah do, did you um watch the uh, pre the, the when you did a preview of the the movie at yeah. fright fest were you there when it was, I was screened? yeah how did that go down it seemed to go down well there was one woman who screamed out turn your effing phone off you see which was quite funny <laughs> but apparently i was told she does that every year oh so God. but okay. that was that kind of ruined the mood a little bit yeah. but um I think it was. I hope it wasn't my phone. Is it? Uh, does it have moments that are like scare? You know, like uh, jump and yes, thrill. It does, yeah. yeah. Okay. Because yeah, yeah. from my limited experience of uh, Fright Fest, which I think includes two films, mm. uh, I love that the audience gets so involved in the. Yeah. Um, they really like. They applaud when something horrible happens, yes, and yeah. you know, it's like yeah. a very different experience to watching a, a horror film on your own or in a regular yeah, film. Yeah, and I think, you know, there's kind of horror films that, you know, that, that that's great for, you know, for that, there's nothing wrong with that, I yeah. think. I mean, the clip we showed from Possum, it wasn't a jump moment. It was it was more, you know, it was kind of an eerie. Yeah. <laughs> eerie I was going to say eerie. Eerie. Yeah. But, um, but, you know, they were, you know, it, it seemed to go down very well there, so. Great. Yeah. Um, well, I, I honestly cannot wait. I love it it's when I hear an idea that, uh, feels unexpected and and fresh and so um, yeah, just uh, massive good luck with that. Um, Thank you. Now before you go, you're going to talk to us uh, about why you've picked your this particular guilty pleasure, which sometimes it's not always a guilty pleasure. People pick things that I think maybe even they're just surprised they enjoy or something. Yeah. Would you would you say this is a guilty pleasure or do you think it's something that is underrated or misunderstood? Oh, mm, I think it's a mixture <laughs> too. I, I never re- regarded it as a guilty pleasure until the more I told people that I liked it, sort yeah. of gave me funny looks. Okay. So well, so what have you picked? Well, I say, see, when I spoke to you, I even got the title wrong. I said everyone loves Raymond, but yeah. I think it's everybody it's loves everybody Raymond. Everybody loves and this Raymond. This is it. You see, I'm not as I'm not a huge fan of it enough to to sort of know any. I don't even know the cast cast names yeah. particularly or even some of the character names but it is something that I think is a brilliant show often for the wrong reasons right and I suppose I mean by that it's one it's obviously a comedy of truth you know it's a, we all recognise dysfunctional family moments all that kind of stuff so that always makes me laugh often despite myself yeah. but also I quite like the fact that often they will just push it far too far overboard and you mm-hmm. kind of go it's now stepped into really bad territory <laughs> but they don't and the kind of they don't really care and and I, I quite like that I quite like it when they kind of really go for the yeah you know because they're also always going for the studio audience is it is it um on like on channel four in is the mornings it's or on every or? morning on channel four and it is for me is blessed relief from the hell of news yeah, yeah and i just like having it on just to kind of escape from people, all the horrible people rubbish. 
were hard on the on the studio sitcom. They're yeah. really hard on it, and you know that it is an art form of itself. Well, I am usually hard on it because I you? usually hate them. I can't stand studio sitcoms, really? but that one I like because even, even the classics. Yeah, I don't, they just don't really do much for me, yeah. to be honest. No. And yet, the one studio sitcom you seem to res you that that gets you is I like is, it because it's Raymond. ticking all the studio sitcom boxes yeah. so brazenly <laughs> <laughs> that I kind of find it really. Yeah. I, I sort of have respect for for them really just going for it. What know? about Seinfeld? Because that's a show. People, I love Seinfeld. Yeah. That's my favorite comedy. Is it? Yeah. 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 Um, I, I so yes, that is a studio. Yeah, it is, but, yeah. is, but yes, it is. But maybe you know. you're so into it that you can't even hear the audience yeah. laughing. But also, they kind of just jump out. There's so much location yeah. stuff on it. It doesn't. It never feels like it's a studio sitcom. Yeah. Seinfeld. Yeah. I'm always amazed at how when if I see an episode of Friends, which seems to be, I, I'm, I'm sure if someone did like research, mm. there is an episode of Friends on around the world at any time. There must be. Yeah. Which then makes you think, how much money must these fuckers be earning <laughs> <laughs> but uh, uh, the uh, I'm always amazed at how I'll if I flick past it I'll stop kind of maybe a bit like oh, this again yeah and then I've watched it to the end you know no, this is it they're just you kind of just they, yeah you just sort of sit and they you're suck into you in there's something mm. so warm and safe about yeah. them isn't there yeah you know as you say in these times of trouble yeah um, only today I'm I was I put my news app on and read three headlines and wanted to be sick that's it it's too depressing you know so your your <laughs> contribution to this world of depressing news is a really it's dark to do a really depressing dark <laughs> film that's yeah I, I appreciate it thank you <laughs> um so uh to finish off today you're going to give us uh another song well actually you didn't know that we when we asked you for songs we were like can you uh pick you, you just gave us just a favourite song of yours, yeah. right? You wanted a film. You wanted a song that was in a film, and I gave you a song that I had no idea was in a film, but turned but out to turned be out in a film. Is. Luckily, yeah, best friend by the beat. But that's yeah. um. And then when we were in the studio, you were like, "Oh, well, if it has to be a film, you would have picked uh, Ennio Morricone's what is this, Milano Odia, which is a, which is a, a horrific film, which I wouldn't necessarily recommend to people, as what, there's a, the it's film? got a lot of problems with it." Um, thematically and, and you know lots of things that are not great but it's uh it's a, an italian crime film called which the translation is almost human i think it's okay. an umberto lenzi film but the music is by ennio morricone and it's absolutely fantastic it's a really great score um is this piece of music really depressing should i no pick, no should i pick the beat fact, or this do you I think would, well let's go for the ennio morricone yeah, it's very okay. similar actually to the music that he composed for like the the recent Quentin Tarantino from the, oh, the okay. Hateful Eight. It's, yeah, it's yeah. quite similar, I think. Um, and is this from like 60s era? 70s. 70s. I, think it's, okay. I think it's like a 74, 75, 76 film, I think. Yeah. yeah. I, uh, really pinning it down to a specific yeah. time there. <laughs> it's Any, anywhere between 61 and 69. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, it's an ultra violent film. And it's, is it? Yeah. And it's and incredibly you... misogynistic. Oh, and it's, it? not, it's not really a film that I th That whole genre I don't think will ever kind of be fully embraced because of that. But. It's, hey, just I know mm. this is totally going off on a tirade, mm. but did you hear all that stuff that came out about um, what was the um, uh, the the Marlon Brando film? The um, uh, is it the Last Tango? In, yeah, awful, yeah, shocking. All the stuff yeah. about what, how they deliberately. Mm. Oh my god! Yeah, there's too many. There's so many things that happen where you find out the filmmaker or someone's a you know yeah. a bit of a wrong and yeah, and you have that moral dilemma yeah. about. Yeah how much you love their films but yeah exactly well I think you know it's very hard to disassociate it I think 
you know, and you know, quite rightly, I think. So we should, but we should dis- disassociate any any. The music is what's great here. It's, yeah. it's, it's a really <laughs> great score. So. I am intrigued to see this film now, though. I'll let you know whether it uh, offended me. I'm sure it won't. Uh, uh, Matt Matthew, how do you like to be? No? Either, either's fine. Because I've always you known choose. you as Matt. That's fine yeah. then. Well, as in Matt, like, oh, you know Matt. Are you Dan or Daniel? I'm born Daniel, grew up Daniel, ended up Dan. Don't like it though. Feels too like a bloke. I call you Daniel. Call me Daniel. You'll da- be the only person. Daniel, thank yeah. you. Matthew, <laughs> it's been my pleasure. If you enjoyed this podcast, please don't forget to rate and review us on iTunes.